episode 21 of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. Welcome to the show. We're going to switch up the intro a little bit. I have some company with me. We're going to try to yeah, freshen yeah. things up. So hey we're going guys. to have the intro Holla. itself be a podcast episode. No. That's no, not no. true. Just a few minutes of three people. I promise you if you fast forward to like two minutes and 30 seconds and you'll hit us talking about to, to the mighty Randy Jurgens. And who is Randy Jurgens, Jeff? Randy Jurgens is one of my favorite all-time probation officers. Uh, worked with her for a number of years and she's uh, gracing us with her company, insight, knowledge, and background. Yeah, she's a lovely lady. We had a really good conversation with her about some of the things that she thinks is makes the clients more successful with regards to their probation and their parole. She shared some pretty cool stories with us. Um, I think everybody will be, really enjoy this talk. And this episode is brought to you by, of course, Alpha Counseling and Treatment. Um, Alpha is the largest and most respected provider of justice-involved clients, especially those who are convicted of a sexual offense. I'm just saying anybody who is dealing with sexual behavior problems, pornography, addiction, anything of the above, or if you're referring APMP agent, federal probation officer, Alpha is the ticket. We have superior performance, distinctive impact, lasting endurance. Those are the three pillars of success with Alpha. And where can you find us, Jeff? What's our website? www.utahsbesttherapy.com. The, no modesty involved in that whatsoever. <laughs> no. Utahsbesttherapy.com. So... Um, do we do those without further ado type situation? Yeah, that's what I always struggle with. Like, how do you lead? Ready, it? How set, do you, how go. Do you just say, okay, enjoy. No, you got to have what's a, we, we got to find one that's ours though. One, two, three, go. But no, it gets old when you use it every time. You got to have a pool of like 700 that you pull from. Well, without further ado, silly. It just sounds dumb. Doesn't Dan Carlin say that like every time? Yeah, yeah usually I just go, all right, enjoy. <laughs> have fun, <Bye>. folks. <laughs> have okay. fun, guys. Have fun, folks. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Other than that, we're rolling. Oh, yeah. We are rolling? Oh, yeah. Live. Live with the mighty Randy Jurgens. <laughs> You glad to be here? I am very happy to be here. Yeah, we uh, almost didn't happen. It, it almost didn't. Because I Jeff, up at eight thirty in the morning. You know, I will take responsibility as the scheduler that I uh, misled you through <laughs> incompetence. I was stressed all day about this, hmm. thinking I'd missed and I'd let you left you guys hanging. But well, part of that's intentional. We like to keep our guests a little on edge <laughs> and like not really know what's coming. Just yeah. don't even show up at the right time. <laughs> that's yeah. on it. See, we show up twelve yeah. hours later than what you thought. <laughs> yeah. 30 p.m., not a.m. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you June 2nd. Yeah. Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> all, all right. That's, well, I'm not Sweet. coming then. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. So well, I wish it was clever and intentional, but I just kind of blew it, honestly. Yeah. Lucky I've got my shit together. You do. Right? You do. You do. Yeah. And you were, and I, and luckily I was paying attention. Yeah. See, this, this is the late stages of gingivitis <laughs> starting to come through. The, the, the final stage is The just, late stages? Like yeah, it's almost over? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah. it's full on ginger onset. I've been afflicted for the last 36 years. Yeah. You know, it's finally like crept into my bones. Yeah. Right. It's just your journey, dude. Yeah. Oh, don't <laughs> say that stupid word. Dude, it, it's, yeah, it starts, it starts, see this, it starts with the freckles, 
right? And it yeah. infects your stupid skin. That's the stage one. <laughs> stage ever, one. Randy, you ever touch this guy's skin? No, I haven't. Yeah, don't. Why would you have? Don't. Why you would you touch my skin? <laughs> well, because you, you're trying I, to get me in trouble in no, this podcast. Like you ever shook his hand? It's gross, dude. Mm. It's disgusting. Yeah. You it's need to nice. wear latex gloves. Okay. Yeah, you should see like his laptop. It looks hideous. That's like it's the sweat is like literally eating through the plastic on his laptop. That was true. Jeff is letting you guys get away with this. Well, like I said, I don't disagree. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Then it seeps into his bones and then eventually he becomes translucent and just fades away into dust. Sounds like a superpower. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Sounds like a superhero. Kind of cool. Yeah. 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 Well, Justin and Randy are putting a positive spin on my affliction. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Remember that? Do you remember that when we went to Bonnaroo and we saw that translucent dude? I could like see his, he was so ginger. I could see his heart beating like through his chest. I was like, oh yeah, look at that. It's like one of those anatomy things yeah. that they have at the, in like any biology class where you can just like see their heart and their intestines. Yeah. He didn't make it, but. You don't the guy that was face down in the mud. Were you there that year? Or was that when it was me, you and Aaron? Yeah. No, I was there. I was there for that. It's kind of dark. Like, do you know what? The, the do you up over his head, Randy. No. You don't yeah. seem like the type that it's like. A, you ever been to a music festival? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. music festival have you gone to? Oh, I don't. It's been years ago. You sound. Like, you seem like a country western lady. No techno, no. hip hop, electric Daisy, Rock. Daisy Carnival. Right. You've been yeah. to those. We went to one of those before. It's oh, that's crazy. the one where they wear the colored boots and the. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I felt like really out of place. I felt like more like a chaperone. Yeah. As opposed to someone there. I, oh, yeah. yeah. All the kids are really it's young. Like a giant rave. Well, what festival yeah, did right. you go to? Well, I seen that in Vegas. A bunch of kids, I guess, or younger people were going. Oh, you didn't go to it. No, yeah. I didn't oh. go to it. Oh, okay. It looked yeah. like fun, but it, no. It's it's a different world, though, because, yeah. m- like, normally when we were there, because, like, I, I'm not a bad-looking dude, and I look okay with my shirt off, right? So I go down there, do pull the old tricks and stuff like that. Jeff was too. You go down there and you know what? I pulled no tricks. You did too. You do it every concert. You almost got thrown out of Nine Inch Nails for taking your shirt off, you loser. Anyway, so we're down there and like, you know, there was a lot of hot girls down there, but nobody wanted anything to do with us. They were all with like dudes who were wearing skinny jeans and looked like Skrillex. I was like, oh, this is, this is the new thing apparently. So then by day two, I was like, all right, well, let's just, let's just not focus on any of that stuff. It was kind of a rough crowd. Dude. Kids. I like that music, but. But, yeah. man, it's a different it's a different beast of yeah. people. What's his name? Uh, where's the the rapper that wears the clock around? Oh. Flavor Flav. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. We were we were in front of him in he line to get there. tacos. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was yeah exactly as you would have expected. I tried to get him to buy me a churro. He didn't. He wasn't having it. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason we have you here though, besides talking nonsense, is uh, you, you're, well, you're. I guess you're actually, since we started off, you were probably one of the original probation officers I, I worked with. Yeah. You know? Many years ago. Many years ago. So pull the mic in a little closer. You can angle it if you need to, but you'll, you'll hear it when you hit, like, the sweet spot. There we go. Oh, yeah. There we go. There That's we go. better. Yeah. Yeah. Almost kissing it. So are, are we considering Randy a penitentiary pundit? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Randy's old school. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a, kind of one of the series that we have. We've had... So you're, you're the first... Uh, you know, a corrections officer, or well, not corrections officer, the first agent we've had. We, we've got a guy that was a former agent that's running for sheriff. We've had a few people that work at the jail. Now he's a current agent. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're right. He's a supervisor. Okay. I guess, I guess you're not the first. I'm not. Do you ever work with Adrian Eads? Who? Adrian Eads. You no. remember him at all? No? No. Nope. Mm. 
He's an agent with APMP now. Supervisor. Mm-hmm. Huh? He's uh, running for sheriff. We were county sheriff. I don't know him. Coming up. Don't know him. Yeah. But in any case, I uh, figured you'd be, be good to come on, um, talk about your experiences. Just, I, I think that our, our audience probably has no idea what you actually do yeah. for a living or what agents actually do. Yeah. Uh, and we really didn't get into the, the, the probation officer's actual job when Eads was on. We talked more about his ideas for sheriff in the jail and stuff. So it, I think it'll be pretty, pretty fresh stuff for anybody listening in. Um, but you, like early before we started the podcast, you were talking about the your approach with the sex offender population is decidedly different than your approach, or I guess within supervision with people in I guess under other forms of supervision. Like, can you like can you talk about specifically kind of like what what kind of stuff you look for as an agent? Oh, they're totally different populations. And I, when I first was approached to take sex offenders, I just didn't want it. Um, I think most agents act that way. They don't want to supervise sex offenders. And then I found it to be one of the most challenging things that I had, that I had done. Um, they, th- there's a lot more manipulation that goes on, a lot more game playing that you always have to be kind of be aware of. You don't see the drug use as often. And, you know, when you have a drug offender, they come in and you can see the pockmark. So you can see that they've lost weight. They can't keep their jobs. You, there's all these signs that something's not right. Mm-hmm. Sex offenders don't always show that. So you really have to mm-hmm. kind of dig deep and talk to them. And, um, yeah, what talk- kind of signs would you outwardly see in a sex offender? That's true. Yeah, a lot more under the radar stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 It'd be hard to see. So, like, going to their homes was always a big deal and really looking at what was going on there. Sometimes you'd find, you know, pornography or things that they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. But, of course, it's not laid out, so you got to search and you got to have a reason to search and just kind of stuff like that. Um, A lot more surveillance I did, Mm -hmm. watching where they were going and what they were doing, Mm. Um, different things like that. The supervision was totally different to be effective. So, when you're saying surveillance, like – Making sure that they're accountable to where they say they're going to be, like what, or I guess what the surveillance caught my attention. Like, what, like what type of stuff would you be looking um, for? I, I don't. I should probably shouldn't say offenders' names, but there was yeah. one that we had that would always go down to the crosswalk when the kids were getting out of school. The elementary students, the the little elementary school that's right down the street here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I found him trying to talk to all the little kids as they go through the crosswalk. Wow. Um. You, you know, in his history, he had done that before. So I kind of knew that. And I knew he was living closer to a school than I'd like. It was just right outside the thousand, the the foot radius. And um, you just, you know, I think I developed kind of a sick feeling like something's not right here. I wouldn't always know exactly and go into their houses and searching. But then eventually something would raise its ugly head. So I would pick out those ones that I that I was having that feeling with or that I seen different signs with. And those were the ones that I do more surveillance on. So we're kind of talking about like a gut instinct type thing. Sometimes, yeah. What is that something that you feel like you just kind of naturally have, Randy? Or is that is that did you develop that? <laughs> you, you know, know I, mean? um, I think I developed it over the. I think I might have naturally had an ability a little bit, but I think just working with offenders for so long, you develop it, and then working with sex offenders really developed it. I really had to have that. Your spidey senses went yeah. off, told you this guy was up to stuff that he wasn't supposed to be, and your yeah. instincts proved right. Uh, and then you, you talked about going to their homes as well. So I don't know if this is true for you. Uh, one of the current Ogden APMP agents said that he he gets a little worried when their home's a wreck, you know, dirty, cluttered, yeah. dishes in the sink piled up high, you know, stuff everywhere. Um 
I think the idea behind that, like once upon a time, and it still might be true, we used to talk about how hygiene was directly tied in with cycles of behavior. And a lot of times when clients let their hygiene slip or their, you know, how they keep their house slip, that is indicative of their slipping elsewhere. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's where you were going with it when you said you go to their house. No. Okay. Not at all. I, um, I, I, t- tried to look at people as like, if, if it were normal for his house to always be a mess or to be cluttered, some people live like that. And if that was his normal, you know, how he presented all the time when I would go there, then that would, it, that wouldn't alarm me. So you would look more for consistency. I would look going to their house. What are they doing? Are they spending their time doing like their studies or are they watching TV? What are they watching? Mm-hmm. I was always watching, seeing what's on their TV. Um, sometimes looking at their phone, looking for pornography, looking for things. I really got to know their files and their background and what, you know, do they like little girls? Do they like little boys? Do they like them older? Do they, you know, all those kind of things. And then, yeah, sometimes you just pick up on different things in the home that like if they had a toy laying around that they shouldn't have, of course, I'm really going to question that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so things like that, I, it's hard to say exactly what it would depend on the offender and what their background was. Pretty individual. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those, if you going back to Jeff, the comment you were making, like if someone's house was always dirty, but then they're always coming to their sessions, they pass their polygraph and all that. Yeah. yeah I'm probably not going to worry, but if all of a sudden someone's house is like that and all of a sudden they're missing sessions and all of a sudden they're in and out of work, then like, okay, odds are something yeah. else is probably off too. Yeah, absolutely. So looking for those odd behaviors that weren't always consistent. Yeah, because if it's just a dirty house, then, man, I'm probably in trouble, too. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, if it's if it's out of character, I think it's a big part of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and different, even, I had an offender who, when I went to his house, he had an invitation to, like, a family party or something, and I kind of questioned him, and he was coming in the next day for a visit. And before he left, um, he said to me, so I'm going to, he was leaving, he was walking out the door and he's like, I'm going to have a good weekend. Are you? And I was like, yeah, like it was kind of a odd question. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'm going to my barbecue. And he started leaving and I chased him out the door and I said, come back. Like, why are you telling me that? You know, well, the victim was going to be at the barbecue. Mm. But I think in a way, sex offenders sometimes tried to get permission. Like, oh yeah, I told my PO that. So I can't get in trouble. But he really didn't tell me. He left out a big part of it. But just they played games like that a lot, and mm-hmm. you just have to really. I, I gotta say that's a lot more sharp than I would be. I'd be like, "Yeah, have a good weekend, bro." You know, <laughs> like I wouldn't even you know have thought Initially, of that. Initially, I was. Initially, I'm sure the first two years I missed so much. You know, it took it took time to see those things and to start yeah. kind of pick up on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then I started questioning everything they said. You know, but. It, it, you know, I realized it worked and it was a different way of supervising. I never had to do that with the drug offenders. Mm-hmm. Cause no. your guys is, your guys is, I mean, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a probation, op, a pr- probation parole officer's basic function is, I mean, in a lot of ways just to, um, this is a person who has been incarcerated for a period of time, um, or, or not. Maybe they've been put on probation, you know, for a period of time. In other words, you're responsible and tasked with monitoring their monitoring their behavior in the community and to ensure that they're complying with either court orders or parole conditions, correct? Correct. And and um, I think for a lot of people listening to this, I mean, particularly some of our offenders, because some of our offenders do listen to this podcast, and in a lot of ways, um, I, I can see 
from their perspective, because they share it with me often, that they think that probation officers, parole officers are out to get them, that yeah. they want them to fail. And from your perspective, I mean, is is that more of a myth? Is that true? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's that probation officers want dudes to violate and go back to prison or anything. Right. right. So, I mean. You know, I think it, I, I could see where offenders would feel like that. I think people get into, you know, in, in Utah, probation and parole officers were law enforcement um, certified, so we're police officers. Mm-hmm. And when you hire, I think a parole officer um, needs to be able to wear dual hats. Sometimes you got to be a therapist. Sometimes you got to be an officer. Sometimes you know. And there's some agents that I think really got into the system want to, you know, kick butt and take names. And if you get an agent like that, yeah, I've seen that. Like, you you need to help people grow and and do better. And when they do, kind of support them and carry them along their way. But yeah, I've seen that not everybody had that mentality well and i've seen it. i've seen a fair amount of agents i think maybe that we're just starting out here probably maybe recently in ogden that come in not knowing you know how to work with sex offenders specifically be pretty open to that feedback from us like somebody would slip up or have a violation or something and they would reach out to me and their initial reaction was well i gotta go get him right i gotta go pick him up this is dangerous and i would usually frame it as like no actually this is a good thing and he's talking about it yeah. and at first i i could tell the hesitation which is was the same feeling i had starting out but now they've come around to, oh, okay, yeah, he's talking about, okay, that's cool. And they're more supportive of that. But they've done, APMP across the board has done really well just being open to that when yeah. we reach out to them, putting our input on it. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. And, you know, I don't think things have changed there now, but we never got any training. Like, nobody said, you're taking over a sex offender caseload and it's different. Let's train you. Yeah. Like, it was all done through experience. And and we were guided to supervise them in the same way we did everybody else. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Experience, I learned, oh, this isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> this is not working. But I do think the more you educate them and let them know why. Um, you know, when people say sex offenses, they they immediately freeze up. Like, that's a bad word. And no mm-hmm. matter what, they're dangerous. And no, and that's not true. That's yeah. not true. Yeah. They, I think the general public, when you hear sex offense, that's synonymous with a child molester. Yeah. Like, everybody thinks that. The yeah. worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, is sometimes true, about 30% right. of our client population at least, but not necessarily either. You know, and not necessarily right. dangerous either at this right. point. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So. so obviously, really effective communication skills. I mean, your ability, so the, the, the idea that I am going to kick ass and take names and, you know, and I'm, and I'm here to clean this up or whatever, that's not really, a, I mean, because, I mean, in your estimation, what's the overall goal of a probation officer or, or a parole officer? I mean, what, what's, what's the best outcome if I'm working with a client? I think the overall goal is to, you know, make sure they're abiding by their court order, mm-hmm. make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do to be successful and move on and get out of the system. I think that is the goal of the Department of Corrections. I just don't think it always panned out that way in yeah. the end. Yeah. But I do think that's the goal, and um, that's what I found satisfactory in it. You know, my satisfaction came from seeing some people succeed and do better. And and and, and I think in probation and parole, we don't always measure success the way it should be. Um for maybe a drug offender who stops using for a year and holds a job and pays his bills, but then has a miss up and, and, you know, goes back to prison, maybe surviving for that year and doing well, that's a success. But we view it as a failure when they go back. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's and really I, cool to hear you say that. And I think we see that with the sex offenders, too. There were some people that just had, you know, their, their thinking was off and everything was off and you guys would work with them and, 
and you could see, I could see him come along, even like you said, admitting the things that they were thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been visualizing about this, or I've been doing this, and they know it's wrong, and they're talking to me about it, and they're talking to you guys. That's a success. That's not a yeah. failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But it's really hard to get everybody to see it like that. Well, you were talking that um, as an agent takes over a sex offender case slow, there's really not much specific training given, and so everybody's kind of beholden to the same hysteria and not, not really knowing yeah. what to make. Cause like, again, there are going to be some things that are serious issues yeah. and there's going to be some things that aren't. And no, no one's really told you the new, if you're a new sex offense specific uh, probation officer, wh- which is which. Right. Right. Uh, you now it's kind of cool hearing you talk about how you have this view and you know, and you're, you've always been easy to work with from a, as, as a therapist, clients always had positive things to say. I mean, they, they, they would say you're fair. That, that was probably, that's probably about as good of a compliment as you're ever going to get from a client. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. They said yeah. you're fair, you know, and, and it's either fair or that person's a dick. Those are the yeah. two categories that <laughs> POs get, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's understandable. You fell into the fair category some of the time, most of the time, all the time. I know I yeah. didn't always. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, okay most of the time that. you did. And, but, but you're, you have such a keen eye for it. You're talking about this, like this uh, Sherlock Holmes level of undercover investigation stuff while you're over there. And <laughs> I, I, like, how do you pull that off? How, how do you maintain? I guess rapport, a friend, not a friendship, but a relationship with a client while you're simultaneously assuming that they're up to something. Or is that maybe, maybe I'm mischaracterizing. You know, I think that that rapport is the key. I think if you don't develop a good rapport and they close down every time they come and see you and they don't talk to you, you, you've already ended your job with them. You can't take them any further. Um, I think I, I always tried to put them. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes. Some are more severe than others. Absolutely. Some have more consequences than others. But like putting their guard down and getting them to talk to you and letting them. I think me for me, I always wanted them to know I supported them. And I did. I truly did. Like I'd go out of my way to support them if they needed something and I could do it. And I think so a lot of it comes in action, developing that report and then your action. If they come in and said, I need you. Okay, I'll do whatever I can. And sometimes I wasn't able to pull it off, but I always tried. And I think they knew that. Well, that's a, I, I like I liked how you put that as far as the mistake things because ultimately they, they tend to view a PO as it's the last-ditch effort. My mistake is a big violation. I'm going back. They're there just to catch that. Where Not necessarily. Maybe the early mistake is, hey, your place is kind of dirty. What's going on here? Yeah. I want to help you catch those earlier mistakes so they don't lead to bigger yeah. mistakes down the road, which is much more about that. So where you get to know them, where we get to know them, we can catch on to that early stuff where I think they can feel hounded. Like, this is annoying. Why do they care why my place yeah. is dirty? And it's like, well, if they hold you to that standard, they're actually protecting you from violating down the road. They're yeah. not letting it hit last at ever, you know, shit hits the fan. They're and catching it much earlier on. I don't know if you guys get this, but, um, you know, sex offenders would always have a hard time telling me or any parole officer what they did. Oh, you yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's an uncomfortable thing, and so I don't know if you guys had a different experience in treatment. If they'll, you know, when you do your disclosures, if they'll just tell you what they did and be upfront about it. But that was always a big thing for me because I want to know what they did so that if I see things, you know, if they if they use visualization a lot or if they use, you know, I'll just then I would make the conversation easier down the road by me bringing it up and asking rather than relying on them to tell me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that made it easier for them to tell me when things were going wrong. Yeah. No. I, I well. I mean, one thing I, when I worked with some of your clients, uh, or these would be your, what, 
your clients. Yeah, clients. sure. There we clients, go. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, probationers or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, was your skill to uh, interact with them effectively and efficiently? And it was done in a you know in, in simple stuff, showing them respect and courtesy. Because you kind of get in this weird loop, um, like a yeah. kind of a broken um, feedback loop. In, in other words, like offenders will do the same thing because they're saying, "Well, I'll show him respect when he shows me respect." I'm like, "Well," yeah. and then the same thing happens with some officers, and I'm like, "Well, somebody's got to give. Like, it can't, yeah. it can't right, be." Right. So again. The, the I think that you guys being the professional, I think that communic- you recognize communication is a two-way street and listening, understanding what they're saying is really crucial. But asking right. questions is a big piece of that, too, because POs, I think you they have to interact with a wide range of individuals. It's not just like, you know, especially yeah. with the offenders. I yeah. mean, all kinds of different intellectual levels. Then I got to talk to these wacko therapists. Then I got to talk <laughs> to my supervisor. And so you need to communicate well and operate you know, yeah. with all those people operating on and a different level. And then talk level. to the victims and talk to the mothers of the offenders and talk to, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think those communication skills are really important. But I've also, yeah. I also think that the critical thinking skills that you bring to the table in terms of like, can I, can I have logical reasoning and, you know, use these critical thinking st- skills like ju- kind of Justin's refer- referencing that, okay, something's going on and, you know, um, what's the next logical step? Like, I love that you said, what does success actually look like? Because sometimes we, you know, create these standards that are just way too high for some of these yeah. people. And some of these rough around the edges outcomes are going to be as, as bad as good as it can get. Yeah. Um, and I've always said, you know, well, if, if, if the expectation to, I tell my clients, if the expectation was you're not going to do anything, why are you on probation? So yeah. mistakes are going to happen. We need to learn from those. But I think being able to tell your PO, that's a really critical skill. And, and I think the PO aids that by being more open and communicative with the clients as well. Yeah. And I think then the client earn, owns up more. They take ownership for what they did wrong or it's not – it doesn't become this push-pull thing where I'm blaming you and telling you you did everything wrong and I'm def- and the offenders defending themselves. Um, a lot of times they would take responsibility for what they did, mm-hmm. you know, so – yeah, they're. I think they're much more apt to if if the if the um, and when I say critical thinking, I, I really appreciated that whatever punishment was coming because I sometimes these guys are just they they feel like they do something and they're like what. I'm getting in trouble for that. Like, well, <laughs> yes, got to be consequences. Behaviors have yeah. consequences in the yeah. real world. Fancy yeah. that, right? You got to live by the same rules as us, but. I I think if if the um, consequence doesn't match the behavior, then me as the offender, I'm going to have a hard time connecting the dots there. Yeah. And I'm not going to – it's not going to make sense to me of why I shouldn't do this again because then I'm going to say, oh, Randy's doing a power grab. Are, are you meaning in terms, of, in terms of severity? Like the consequence is perceived by the offender to be way more extensive than the behavior that the – Correct. Yeah, so, and it was warranted. Uh, so, so, like our clients that get super upset about uh, getting in trouble for pornography. There, there's a there's we, we come across clients that cause they it's legal. What's the big deal? And uh, then I, I guess we always point back to the probation agreement, which is what APMP enforces. You know, like uh, I'm, I'm like a random thought just jumped into my head. Randy, th- there's a concept that we talk to our clients about. We teach it in group all the time. And it was actually the concept was actually developed by one of your former clients. Really? Yeah. One of our <laughs> our former clients. And we'll, I'll tell you yeah. off the podcast. Yes. Yeah, um, 
after he left your after you left or whatever, uh, he was transferred to another probation officer and he ended up getting uh he, he got his girlfriend at the time, fiance, whatever, pregnant. And in the in the months leading up to the birth, the new probation officer uh, asked us alpha to help the client get a get a safety plan for the new child you know it's like hey you're gonna have a new child living in the home you have group a stipulations we need to plan for this and plan around it and this client he he had a rough past but he had he'd pulled it together quite a bit and was doing really well on parole and he 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 hit a point like once he was told to get that safety plan in place so he could be around his soon-to-be daughter he really dug his heels in and I know who you're talking about. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't like the idea of it. He didn't yeah. like the implication that, okay. Uh, and maybe for the listeners, I should. So a safety plan is basically just like a, well, it is what it sounds like, but essentially for a, for a, a client that's not allowed to be around anybody under, under the age of 18, um, that, that there's some conditions that have to be in place before before that person would be allowed to one of those is a safety plan and so he he said well if i fill out a safety plan saying that i can be around my daughter i'm implying that i'm a monster or that i'm a threat or that i'm going to do something to my daughter there's no way i'd ever do that and uh, uh, he would say you know my you know it, I, I thought i've proved myself ap and p thinks i'm still this you guys think i'm still this and he, he was having a tough time with it because again he would say i'm i'm tacitly endorsing the idea that i still have this problem i would never touch my daughter so week after week mm. he, he he resisted bringing this assignment in and finally one day he came prepared and there's there's the assignment yeah, that there's a safety plan it's written up really well right to our standards no minimizing uh he wrote things on there that I know was hard for him to write, including I won't be in charge of bathing my daughter. And I, I know that that was tough for him to write. And I asked him, like, well, what what prompted you to uh, why the change of heart? And he said, well, I just reframed how I'm looking at it. He said that there, there's personal risk factors, risk factors that actually matter for me. And he, for this client, he said, um making fast money and uh girls that i can uh pimp out and uh and he said those are big risk factors for me drugs are a big risk factor for me anything having to do with quick ways to make money and come up those are big risk factors for me he said going to a park or bathing my daughter those are not personal risk factors they're appointed risk factors they've been appointed to me by apmp and so he said, it's not a risk factor that if I violate this rule, it, it means I'm going to create a victim out of my daughter. It's a pers- it's a risk factor for me. And then if I violate an appointed risk factor, I go back to jail. So he said, I was, that, but by framing it that way in my mind, I was able to take, I was able to not personalize it and just follow the rules that I don't think, you know, you or Randy, the, you know, yeah. w- want me to do. And so he would like, since then we've made that like a part of our curriculum. We teach appointed risk versus personal risk. And I I kind of want to know, and from a probation officer's perspective, first off, I want to know if that, if it, does it bug you at all that we're saying that some rules don't put you at risk, but you damn well better do them anyway. Or like, like what's your reaction to hearing that story? Considering it's one of your dudes. Yeah, (laughs) I know. And I think, um, Whatever way it has to work, and if that's what they need to do. I don't know that I really think that's minimizing. I think 
therapeutic wise, and maybe you guys can tell me this. I always thought, you know, everybody has like a path. You just don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to commit a sex offense. It doesn't happen that way. Right. There's things that happen. And I think as long as like with an offender like that, I would, I, if we're thinking of the same person, um, I would be more concerned about the things that he did to commit his offense. And if this, if having a child were, you know, any part of that pathway to the offense, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like if it was so, and, and if it wasn't, I wouldn't be so worried. I don't know that I would care why he didn't as long as he wasn't putting himself at risk. I always tried to point out too, like you're a sex offender. You have this on your record. You've got to be careful what you do if you want to be around for your kids because anybody could claim anything and people believe it about sex offenders, you know? So it, I always tried to frame it too, like you're doing what's best for you to be around your kids and your family. So no, I don't, I don't think that would bother. It would bother me if I felt it were a, ri- a risk factor or something that led to his crime and he was minimizing it and trying to get away mm. from mm-hmm. that. That would bother me. Does well, that make sense? You, you, well, I mean, your answer is pretty well in line with what we do. So I mean, you're almost answering the way that like a therapist would answer. So that's, that's kind of handy. And because, yeah, certainly if I were having a client fill out a safety plan and, either through lack of awareness of their actual risk factors or through intentionally minimizing those risk factors, that, that would be yeah. something that we would address in therapy as well. So yeah. basically your, yeah, your, your answer is like pretty well on board with, on yeah. board with what we're doing. You know, the one thing I think I learned is from being a parole officer is, um, we can't bl- put blanket statements on everything. Like you have to look at every single person individually and what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, you'd think you'd figure them out and then, and then they come in and they surprise you in what they say and what they've, what they've been through and what led them to that. So, um, and I think with sex offenders particularly, they've got a story and you need to be able to hear it. Um, I know some agents don't want to hear it. And, um, that was a big conversation we used to have at our office with the other agents who supervise sex offenders. Some of them didn't want to know any of that stuff. And I kept going, well, how can you supervise them if you're not willing to hear that stuff? You know, um, yeah, well, the, the the thing that you're talking about is really good to hear because I I mean, I'm never in a position that I I think we undermine some of their conditions and some of the things that they that they have because um I think what we try to say is look, I understand that this isn't necessarily a problem for you. So the question then becomes if it's not a problem for you then why are we arguing about you following this rule? We're yeah. simply we're simply this is is this a little bit of CYA kind of cover my ass type thing? Sure. But the thing is, is there's been precedent set by previous guys in this position. And it's not to suggest that you are going to do this. What we're saying is this is something that applies to everybody equally. And you and I, like the reason why we're having this conversation is because you're choosing to focus on this. The actual risk factors that make a difference are this and this and this, not this. So like sometimes guys, an example would be, Sometimes guys have an alcohol clause. And like, well, I never even had a problem with alcohol. What yeah. the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I don't even, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know why you have an alcohol clause anyway. But you know what? The thing is, is it's there. And if you choose to violate that, I want to, you know, I'm not really concerned about the alcohol. What I'm concerned about is the reason where you're having logic saying, I can violate this rule and it's going to be okay, knowing that that's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. Pornography is a great one because guys, it, it's, um, so minimized in the sex offender population that we work with. Like, what's the big deal? Right. And I say, well, look, there's no, there's no evidence to suggest that sex offenders who watch pornography are more likely to reoffend sexually. I know that. But what we do know is that 
sex, sexual preoccupation certainly does lend to guys reoffending sexually. You all know you're not allowed to watch pornography. So if there's a rule in place saying that you do this, you're going to get in trouble, potentially go back to prison. And then you still choose to violate that. Ought you not question the fact that you're doing that? Yeah. Like you should say, what? Why am I making this decision? The problem like, is that in and of itself. Yeah, you, that, so should scare, that should yeah. scare you yeah. that you know the stakes and you still chose to do it. How, if it's not that important, how could it be that important? I mean, it's something that could send you to prison. And you're telling me it's not important and then yeah. you still choose to engage in it? It's, it's probably the same thinking that I used to hop into the carpool lane when, we, when I hit traffic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What you watch? You watch porn in the carpool lane? <laughs> Clearly, yeah. <laughs> don't don't you, weirdo? Yeah. <laughs> I get bored on that commute. Yeah. So, in bringing that up, I always, I always like didn't know what to do with porn because I always felt like most sex offenders that that that's kind of like the gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Is it or not? It depends on how, how we're talking about mm-hmm. it. So again, kind of with what Mace was saying, that's that. All right. Rewinding a bit, a, a few years, we were at a conference and uh, researchers were up there saying that there's no causal link between pornography and sexual reoffense, which I didn't want to hear any part of. But he was right. There's not. So, really? yeah. Yeah. Looking at like, well, if we're just saying that looking at pornography in and of itself, is that a predictor of sexual reoffense? No. Um, but but so, so we look, but we look at the willingness to look at pornography anyway, despite there being severe sanctions in place as being indicative of sexual preoccupation, which that becomes the problem. So it's a sexual preoccupation more yeah. than. Well, th- yeah, that and sometimes the route I go, depending where it's a little more case by case is, yeah, if you're if you're willing to keep pursuing that, even though, you know, there's consequences, not so much of just stop. What else is going on in your life that we probably should address? Like what? Why? What are you escaping? What are you avoiding? Yeah. Even if it's not going to end in, quote unquote, a sexual offense, but maybe it's going to end in a violation of some way. Like, are you not dealing with stress? Well, are you not dealing with loneliness? Yeah. Well, or whatever it is, and that's the outlet. We need to rewind a little bit and say, well, what is leading up to it? So you're looking at pornography as a as a, a coping skill used to deal with a deeper life issue. It's a cope, but it's, I mean, with it being a coping skill that's not adaptive, you 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 focus on like, well, what are you using? Like, what like what about what's going on in your life that you're still choosing to use this? Even yeah, though what's building up where the outlet is this? Whether it whether it's a boredom thing or it's just Loneliness. an emotion misregulation, mm-hmm. yeah, or or a bunch of different things. But yeah, if I can't avoid that at the risk of getting kicked out of treatment and going to prison something's going on it's just like you were saying you don't just wake up it's just also i I just i want to violate today i'm bored i want to violate no something's going on something's driving that decision and now that you say that that's one of the key things i always look for too and if something was going on with them that um stressed them out like maybe they lose their job maybe they're fighting with their family that always seemed to be a key to me like watch what else is going on because they seem to like I don't know, go back to the sex offender behavior maybe or or do things. That's Well, yeah, no. Sure. Maybe is it kind of their outlet or Yeah. No. Well, one of the things that we try to get these guys to learn is the life history factors that led up to their offense, so you know, past history of abuse, past criminal history, you know, things that they've been through and then lifestyle factors, stuff they're yeah. currently doing that uh perpetuates them being in this this mode of living, this lifestyle. And I mean, like pr- pornography use can sort of be a in in, in both columns, really. Yeah. And if if we have a client, and again, I'm super generalizing here, but I mean, how many clients have you had 
that they have no idea how to talk to women their age. They, oh. right, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're lonely. They're kind of dorky. Yeah. Uh, they're not quite sure how you to be. You can see why they connected with someone younger. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's the pattern their offense takes is they, is that they, they actually acted out hands on with someone younger. And in the meantime, to curb, the loneliness and to quell the boredom and all these different things. They look up pornography in the meantime. And what that allows for them to do is to stay in their basement and not venture out and not deal with the, the, so like without the, without pornography as an outlet, now all of a sudden, Oh geez, I better go meet an actual human, you know, to, to fulfill that drive or whatever it is. Which is a lot more difficult. Yeah. 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 I have to leave my house. I have to, I have to, I have to fundamentally alter my day to day interactions, which is altering the lifestyle factors, which then if we can get the client to the point that now he's daring to go out and he's got himself a date and he's going on, you know, he's living a happy, healthy, productive lifestyle. He's not trapped in his parents' basement playing World of Warcraft for 12 hours, looking at pornography for the other 12, you yeah. know, like that, that then we're, then we're going somewhere. Yeah. And so pornography becomes the thing that we address as a symptom of a larger behavior that could be life history, lifestyle, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So how do you guys, that was one challenge I always had, you know, with sex offenders, they can't go do certain things and they can't go to certain movies and they can't go where children congregate and they can't do family things because of that. So, and then part of the parole agreement is that they can't associate with people who have committed felons and, and mm-hmm. all that. But sex offenders don't generally sex offend together, right? Mm-hmm. So we're drug offenders. There was a reason to not have them associating with each other because they're going to use dope together, right? But yeah, precisely. sex offenders don't do that. Mm-hmm. And they need that connection with other people. We all need that connection with other people. So I always struggled in trying to find things where they could connect with people and, and have a positive network of people. And that, I think that was one of the hardest things. The JR, they finally got that right. Yeah. They did? They did. Yeah, they what al- did they do? They allow it. They allow it. Really? Yeah, with they sex al- offenders? Mm-hmm. That's well, awesome. and, the, and the other thing that we, we do to address that more directly, um, you know, before the podcast started, you, we were talking about the University of Cincinnati Corrections uh-huh. Institute. And one of the things that we do um, on a regular basis now is teach them social skills and role play those social skills. Oh, that's Because awesome. their social skills, in a lot of ways contributed a ton to the reasons why they got to where they were. Yeah. I mean, if I, so one of the things that we talked on another uh, podcast earlier, um, we were talking about like pedophilia and how that kind of comes about. Right. And we were saying that um, your, your sexual arousal doesn't, it doesn't change over time. It expands. In other words, if I'm an adolescent and that's when I start to show attraction towards the opposite sex or whatever, you know, whatever my orientation is, I'm just recognizing that now I have an interest right. in another person sexually. Well, that, you know, that doesn't, it, it, I, it's not like that changes as an adult. It expands over time. So I always give the analogy of yeah. like ice cream, right? Like if you had to guess what was the first flavor of ice cream you ever tasted when you were a, a like a three-year-old what do you think it probably chocolate. was probably chocolate or vanilla right but yeah. what's your favorite flavor now um mudslide right oh yeah, yeah. good stuff right i like chocolate chip cookie dough <laughs> yeah. what do you don't you what do you like some some stupid mint chocolate chip cookie Man, i'm telling you the tonight dough is jimmy oh, fallon's brand of ben too. and jerry ice cream that's that yeah yeah <laughs> see so so but but it's not like you don't like chocolate right no. you still of course you still like chocolate but you like but there's but the it expands because now I like texture. I like these yeah. additional flavors. My palate develops over time. And we want the same thing because it, I mean, for example, let's say I became sexually active when I was 16. Okay, fine, whatever. When I'm 32, I can still have fond memories of, you know, when I became yeah. sexually active when I was 16. 
but I'm not attracted to 16-year-olds anymore because as I've grown, I've been reinforced with same age, you know, folks over time. These guys, it doesn't happen because for whatever reason, the social skills go to shit. I think that's awesome. And then when I become an adult, what do I have? I can't, I can't, I can't allow that to expand further because now I I can't get a person who's same age to interact with me. So developing those social skills is crucial. So that's, that's a big piece about. It makes them more safe. mm -hmm, It does. It makes them more Mm -hmm. safe. Right. And we want them to, because the, the best uh, measure, the best protective mechanism against deviant sexual behavior is healthy sexual behavior, mm-hmm. rewarding, healthy, consensual sexual behavior with another adult in a rewarding relationship. Right. That's what ultimately what we want. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, I think teaching them about that is crucial. Like understanding, okay, if I understand why I need to follow this rule, I'm much more apt to follow this rule because like, that's go, going back. I was like, uh, if they can't make that connection, I think they're much less likely to follow it. And yeah. then they're more resistant because there was a there was a guy I worked because what what's your obligation in terms of maybe it's changed, but when you were working APMP, how often did you have to make a field contact with that client? Oh, all the, like once a month was minimum. So once a month, and and then like what happened like if they weren't home? So if you guys worked opposite hours because they worked, and how did that? How did you, you know, make that's that work? Kind of caseload management. I would try to keep going back until I caught him home. Yeah. Sometimes just depending on how many people you had to see and what was going on and, you know, you weren't able to. But at least once a month, usually twice a month if I could. Yeah. Especially with the sex offender caseload. So I I had a client one time and he he was at home. So he had working hours and he didn't get home till seven. Mm -hmm. And he told his PO that I don't get home till seven. And his PO... um, said, well, I need to make a field contact with you. And he come by and put his card there to show that he was there. Right. And, um, and then he said, well, I know, but I work until seven. So I can't, I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't want to tell you. And the PO, um, said, okay, I'm coming by. And he couldn't tell him when he was coming by. Cause it doesn't have to be random. It needs to be random. So that, so my client was, he's, I'm coming by. And if you're not there, then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you move out. And he can't do that. <laughs> so do that. so my client was like, "Wait a minute, I'm gonna have to go to the homeless shelter to because I can't." I was like, "How does that? How does that make me more safe?" So he was having a hard time, and and eventually he figured out it was like going to be in this three day stretch, and he took three days off work and he was oh, home. My I know, and, and I I didn't understand it myself, but you see where and this and this agent's no longer uh, he's no longer with APMP, but. And I'm this client's long graduated, but he was having a hard time connecting the dots there. And he's like, yeah. this guy's just pulling a power play. Well, I don't know why. I mean, I would go out at midnight. I would go out. I would stay out till midnight. There there should be no reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that that's why, I mean, we watched. Uh, unless, wait, unless the, they were put on a curfew. Unless nope. they had a violation and he was Mm-mm. on a curfew or. Mm-mm. He was kind of a. He was kind of a smart ass. I mean, yeah. the client was. He was. I mean, he's funny, but yeah. he's a smart ass. But he was. He wasn't resistant, and he would say. I mean, it was more so like, "Oh, here's a rule. Oh, okay, never mind." And yeah. I, he just would follow it. There are no problems with him. He just wouldn't. I mean, he just said, well, "I'm not home at that time. I don't know what you want me to do." You yeah. know, and uh, and it was really weird to me because I, as a therapist, I was like. I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to tell you what's going through that person's yeah. head and help you kind of cope with this. And it is sometimes hard to just say, well, it is what it is. I hate telling clients that. Yeah. That's like the worst, you know? But but like the pornography things, it, it, I like it because 
did we recently um i had them watch that you ever you should google this if you have a What's chance that? it's like 25 minutes long but it's worth it have you ever seen the last interview with ted bundy prior oh, to his i read yeah okay so you've seen that that I've video it, it was like it. less than 24 hours before mm-hmm. he was executed mm-hmm. and i watched that and every time i watch it that guy is so full of shit dude like yeah. he is it, it, like his How late times you watch that weirdo well it's in it's yeah, in every, groups. every, every time, time it's like a nightly tradition it's all in, right dexter no, it's, it's in groups you know but like <laughs> if you watch that compared to like a charles manson video like charles manson like okay yeah. this what do you do with your job. free time man yeah. Yeah. these are in what groups first 48 and just wake up and watch that interview but if you but if you watch that interview like a big thing was is, is he uses language but then he totally backs out of it because he uses he's like no i want to be clear you know, porn, I'm not holding porn responsible. And when he's talking to, like, he, he closes his eyes to make it's it more serious, it. you know? He's like, and, he, and he's like... He's uh, like an actor. Well, yeah, he is, yeah. and he yeah, is, exactly. char- he is awfully charismatic and yeah. well-spoken, but he's like, yeah, and it formed like a different entity inside of me, and I lost control, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, dude. How can you say you took responsibility and did this? But that was a huge moment in American history, and I think yeah. that turned it to a like porn made me do it so if i watch porn then i'm gonna be ted bundy right yeah and and he and that's where in the and the doctor that was in there was kind of going along with that so when you were referencing the gateway drug earlier you know there's plenty of people that we probably all know that have smoked marijuana their entire lives and never done anything else right and and People are perfectly capable of that. So the morality behind pornography tends to be a really yeah. crappy argument. If I get into that with a client, like the morals of it, I don't know. It's really not winnable that. either. Right. Yeah. The well, symptoms of when I say, look, you guys, here's what I really want you to question is this idea of sexual preoccupation. Think about this. Just think. If I tell you don't do this one thing, and if you do this one thing, you forfeit your freedom, and then you go and do that. You ought to be terrified of engaging in that behavior. I don't yeah. care what it is. I don't. If I told you don't eat a Snickers bar while you're on probation, and then you're like, oh, I gotta have that Snickers bar, like, <laughs> dude, you gotta be like, what is up with this Snickers bar? Like, well, the value <laughs> of the Snickers bar is really a lot. Correct. Versus right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, client, that seems to resonate more with clients is what because then that's in their best interest. Uh, b- Otherwise, they go the route that uh, Mace was going with kind of, you know, the Ted, they, they think it's in place with the Ted Bundy thing, or they'll reference the church and just think it's like a moral thing, like, you know, yeah. like sex is bad, porn is bad. And, and like w- way more mileage out of these guys when we stop trying to convince them that they're on the cusp of creating a new victim because they're looking at porn or because this or that. It's, it's, well, I mean, Mace worded it well. It's that, that, yeah. that gets way more buy in. Yeah. Yeah. I well, can see that. Well, and that's and that's where the conversation comes in with understanding the difference between those appointed risk and personal risk, you know? Cuz it turns into sometimes they go they go like off the rails and they say, "Well, I went, I went and saw I had a guy who went and saw that movie Gone Girl. You ever saw that? Uh-huh. Oh, so good. Good show. You were, good show. You were rooting for the girl in that, yeah. weren't you? You're all like, get that son of a bitch. Yeah. He, deserves, of course. <laughs> he deserves everything that's coming to him. That, 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 that movie got like every couple into a fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I like you watch that movie and you like if you went to like if you went to a, a movie with like your your significant other, you're sitting there and you look at each other you're like. So could yeah. we just call this quits? Yeah, <laughs> so, so we're we're done, right? <laughs> yeah, I was in, I was engaged. I was like, ah, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just a good idea. If that's the case, but there was a, so he went and saw this and he didn't really know that there was nudity and there's that, there's only like one scene in there. There was pretty gnarly though. No, 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 not the, not the murder scene. That is gnarly, but she's not nude in that. She's, you never see any nudity in that partial, but then there's that he's, it's when he's hooking up with that model. Oh Yeah. Anyway, and he said, oh, I saw it was actually one of your clients that came back and told me about this. He went to Brewski's to watch or, or Brewies to watch it. Brewski's Brewies to watch yeah. it. And he came back because it's a it's a bar yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. so there's 21 and older. So it's safe and whatever. He came back and I was saying, well, OK, so I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Did you did you like what you saw? Okay. Oh, is she an adult. Congratulations for being an adult heterosexual male. Like, did you? I mean, what? What did you? And and I said, what I would be concerned with is not the fact that you were attracted to an adult female that was nude on TV that is attractive. That's a good thing right. because, again, if I'm trying to keep you away from children, right. I want to reinforce that. Right. What I would be concerned with is, did you go back every day of the week to go watch Gone Girl again, and then you know maybe snap a couple photos with your phone, and then go back home, and then use that as for purposes of masturbation or something like that? Now we got a problem. That's Draw, those are that distinction right. important. Those are symptoms of sexual preoccupation. Yes. There, like we had. Jeff and I had a mutual client, and you look at there's um, another movie reference. You ever seen Freddy versus Jason? No. Awful movie, but equally. Freddy Krueger. Of course. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was like every kid's dreams, like Freddy versus Jason. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of like the Chuck Liddell Vanderlei Silva fight. Oh yeah. It was way too long, and by the time that they had the fight, it's like these are just two old dudes now. Like it was more sad. Yeah. Yeah. By the time you got it, you're all oh finally like I felt bad for. 30 yeah. <laughs> yeah. 10 years past their prime but yeah. there's like in that movie there is a snippet and i'm not kidding a two second image of nudity and the client that we worked with your client he violated because of similar stuff when he got out but he would fast forward to this part and watch this over and over and over and over and over and over yeah. and he queued up on pornography on his on his uh polygraph right and it's like well wait a minute that's not pornography well okay you're taking a movie that was intended to show this little snippet of this right. and unfortunately you know there was one boob in there or whatever and you turned it into pornography by the function of it and yeah. now we're talking about sexual preoccupation this one boob wasn't even both is one <laughs> was, <yeah>. got jibbed <laughs> i know i know this because Everybody i yeah, i know geez. this because i was like yeah. wait a minute is there nudity in that and i had to fast forward and i was like oh there it is yeah all right <laughs> So yeah, it's I, it is. I think if we can distinguish that, and and um, and even I, I always liked and appreciated when I worked with you that you were open to understanding those things because the communication between the officer and the therapist was crucial. If I mean, if yeah. if we didn't present as a united front, then I don't think the yeah. clients were nearly as successful. Yeah. So I agree, and I think that there's struggles in that area, and I think. The more, especially with sex offender caseloads, that you can communicate with the therapist, and we can all be on one team, the more yeah. effective we're going to all be yeah. in that. I wonder, because, and you guys can help me out here, but I kind of, uh, this is my pitch when I tell them that, because it is kind of an elegant system. I mean, I'm telling them from the gate, I go over confidentiality, and I, you know, I tell them all the reasons why I'd have to break their confidentiality. And then I let them know ahead of time, full disclosure, I say, look... If you tell me about a violation, I'm going to tell your PO, the end, right? right? It's like, well, how am I ever going to tell you about anything? And I say, well, look, it's not like that, though. It's not as if I say, hey, Randy, you got to know what this guy's doing, you yeah. know? 
I, it's it's wrapped in a nice little bow and sent to them in the way because if you're coming to me and genuinely asking for help and saying, hey, I screwed up this weekend and this happened. And I say, Randy, unfortunately, so-and-so did this. But I feel like at this point he's trying to work through these issues. I think violating him and discharging him would be, you know, counterproductive. I think we ought to continue working with him. I know you guys are going to have sanctions on your end, so off we go. Let me know what you think. So when I say if I do it that way, the PO is much less likely to, you know, um, violate. And we usually give you guys weekly updates. That's why Mm -hmm. it's not – you're sitting, you don't hear a word for a peep from a, uh, a therapist for six months, and then all of a sudden you violate, right. and you have to ask the question, well, what else is he up to? Mm-hmm. Well, I already know because I've been communicating with this. Do you feel like that's an effective way of getting the message across to the therapist that, or to the client that if you tell me these things, I'm going to have to tell your PO, but you know what? The reason why we do that is because they need to know these things to yeah. reinforce some the conditions and that's why we're trying to move you along. I think it's probably the best way you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like we talk about, I talked about the relationship with me and whoever I was supervising. You have to have that relationship with the the treatment provider also. So we would have to be able to discuss things like how how is this violation going to be handled? And you know, in some areas, the parole officer's hands are tied. Like if he were to have had contact with a victim or right. something. I mean, some of those things are just. You know, we have to do something. Correct. But the majority of the things that I came across weren't like that. Right. And through that conversation, and then I always felt like through a conversation, even when Jeff and I would work together, like I knew he knew about it. I knew he was on it. I knew he'd let me know if I needed to take my supervision up a step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I, I think just building that rapport, but I don't know how, how else you would work that. Other than telling them like you would, yeah, because they the can't respect if you've got a if you've got an officer who who doesn't understand the sex offending uh-huh. and doesn't understand that they may like like there's a taboo on sex offenses sure. and there's some agents that won't even look at the file or want to know about it and mm-hmm. so like you said society goes a sex offender no matter what they do they look at porn they they're at risk they need to go back to prison you'll have some agents that think that too right well, because we because I mean the dude can't come in and say oh Mason. So I murdered somebody, um, but, you know, I really want to work through this. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I thought I'd let you know. You know, I can't be like, Randy, I think sending him to prison would be a bad idea because yeah. he- <laughs> we got this safety plan. Yeah. <laughs> no. We're trying to find and out where the body won't is. won't kill any more people. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, I think ha- you know, stepping outside yourself in a session and, and telling a guy that you empathize with his point of view, because going back to the movie thing, because I've had even recently guys come in and say, my PO stopped by and he says I have to get rid of any movie that shows nudity. Yeah. And f- first thought is, I think it's I think it's take not taking sides because I think sometimes they expect that like, well, it's just what you have to do and your PO is right. Soak it up, which just builds up a wall. Right. And you also don't have to do the opposite of like, are you serious? That is stupid. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to do that. Where sometimes I tell him like, that does suck, man. I would hate to have to do that too. Like, but I get what he's yeah. doing. You know, he's just trying to keep you safe, e- yeah. even if even if you don't agree with why, and maybe it could have gone differently or whatever. You know, but would I be mad too? Yeah, that does suck to have to right. feel like that. Yeah, he validate like his he, emotion. Yeah, you get more mm-hmm. buy-in, but you're saying, hey, maybe he's coming from this place, or maybe there's this, which I see that a lot. You know, as someone's closing in on their exit polygraphs, sometimes things clamp down a little bit. Sometimes they just want to see their yeah. guys do well, mm-hmm. yeah. and I try to frame it under that. But usually, if it's instead of just a oh, just suck it up, because then that just they dig their heels yeah. in. And, and like we were talking about, maybe the JRA changed some of this, so feel free to tell me if it did. But, you know, the association clause with sex offenders. Also, the Internet is one now. The sex, you know, a lot of them can't um, be on the Internet and stuff. Well, today's world is all functioned by yeah. mm-hmm. and we can't 
we can't surpass that. So it limits their job abilities. I mean, it, oh, it yeah. limits their doing assignments for school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if all that's changed with the JRI, but it, they're, know, they're more laxed on that. Were yeah. Thing, and that's what yeah. Think yeah. Because yeah, there's there are there are internet restrictions, but um, I think that if you have so obviously, like with our federal clients, they have monitoring. So in other words, it's like, yeah, like whatever you want. Ugh. I, with the feds, it kind of it, it's weird because it's like they're they're more like yeah we're gonna catch you you know and yeah. then clients will still look at stuff. Whereas yeah. I think a client who's really proactive can say, yeah. I need access to the internet, but I don't want to look at that stuff. So can we install some sort of web filter on here right. and help me through that? Right. That is really good stuff that yeah. I get from some of those guys because, like you're talking about polygraphs. I mean, as a PO, I have to imagine if. If they've gone this long and then it comes out that they failed a polygraph, right? Right. You, I would naturally question what else is going on. And the way that we do polygraphs is it, it, it's kind of um, it's done in a really economic way because, uh-huh. like, if I'm asking three questions, let's say I'm focused on porn and um, drugs and contact with children, right? Well, technically, I should be doing three separate polygraphs. But unfortunately, our clients can't afford that. So we try to say, okay, tell me anything, right? Well, if I fail that, I may have failed on the pornography, but technically I failed the entire thing. And you as the, as the PO have no clue. And, you know, so now I'm like, okay, well, what else has he been up to? And I try to tell him, look, that is the worst case scenario. Telling me up front, if you're going to, if you're going to go to jail, you're going to go to jail then too. All you're doing is buying yourself time. In the meantime, I, of course, it's looked at differently because it's not just the fact that you looked at porn. It's that you have lied, lied about, about it for the entire time. Like, and that's, and yeah. then they have to question what else is up. And I usually tell them, control the narrative, control the narrative of your probation. You don't ever want another person telling that story yeah. because once you lose that narrative, then, then, you know, people yeah. don't write great chapters about you. Yeah. You know, I, I can't and imagine. Honestly, we did look at it. Like when I got a positive, or, you know, that they they failed the polygraph. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, how did this just come up now? Like, what have you been hiding for so long? Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. You're right. Well, right before I walked in, somebody showed me something or something. And <laughs> <laughs> showed me. Yeah. It was my friends. Can you imagine? I just had it there. Can you imagine you send your, your client a text like... Good luck on the polygraph. It's like a link to Pornhub. And they're like, what? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't go well. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, what kind of things, like, I mean, you, you've been around a little, like, uh, when did you start your career? 1992. 1992. So you've seen a lot of changes within the department just here in Utah, yeah. and you've, you have some other experience elsewhere like what what are some things that you feel work well like what like in other words that you, you randy you're officially in charge of the world now and really? more specifically apmp going forward or a, a probation agency in general like what what kind of things do you feel are most effective on your end of things and maybe like if there's anything that you feel could be set aside or not given as much uh focus what would that be you mean with APMP or yeah, and 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 I'll open that up to not like you can answer that for supervising sex offenders, but like pretty well any any, any client, kind of yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, like what, like what? How would you structure it, or what kind of things would you look for? What would you tell the agents that were under your charge as far as what to look for, or what to worry about, what not to worry about, that kind of stuff. And I think I kind of said it before, and um, 
don't blanket everything. Don't put a statement or a stamp. You know, they're a drug offender. They're a sex offender. They're this or that. But then, and I say that, but then you, you've got to target what their needs are. We talk, you know, we could talk about risk needs and responsivity and all that stuff. But I think listening to people's story, understanding who they are and why they got to the place that they got and not neglecting that. Because when you neglect that, I think you're already on the wrong path. You're on the one that you, you think got him there instead of on the one that got him there. Um, but I really believe in um, targeting people individually. That's women, sex offenders, drug offenders, whatever. Like, respond to what they need because they're all different. They all got there for different things, and I don't think we do a good job of that. So it'll be a training mm. item then. Yeah. Mm. I, I think right. we could do – I think, you know, the, the Department of Corrections in Utah has gotten more into gender responsivity with the women, which has been awesome. I think I think really we were doing that years before – I don't know, Karen Preverdale and um, some of the other agents over there, like, we, we talked about it when they finally introduced it to us. We were like, we've been doing this for years, you know, because we found, we found that it was effective with women. What kind yeah. of things? That, that's, uh, like, what kind of things, that, like, did you learn in the training or what were you already doing specific to gender? I think the way we spoke with them, um, understanding their relational issues and and how they build support and how women are more talkative and and all of those kind of things and being there for that I think was really helpful in in watching those you know and supervising those people I think we were more effective when we were able to do that um I think women take a lot longer to supervise you have to have that time to spend with them and our caseload sizes didn't always pan out and let that happen like it should have until they started doing more gender responsive trainings and and then lowered the caseload sizes and made them more manageable for us. Did the gender responsive trainings like shorten the amount of time they the, the women were on supervision or it, no? Or, okay, so what 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 was the just probably made them more effective probation officers? Yeah, in terms of like like being okay with it going longer. Yeah, you, yeah that makes sense. Man, that's a curveball now with all the yeah. pronouns out now. Oh, she <laughs> got have like fifteen different gender responsive trainings now. A lot of trainings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do think we were already responding to women differently, and that that kind of gave us a ca- context to work within. Just like um, naturally, you you'd figured it out, sort of. Yeah, I think we just did because as a PL, like you're just when I first started, my caseload was like I, I want to say 157. Yeesh, jeez, yeah. wow! And you're just putting out fires. I didn't, and there was no training. If they you can even do that, do wow! You yeah. got to see 157 people once a month. Back then, the standards were a little bit different. So the ones that were on lower supervision, we didn't have to see it all in the field. Oh, but even wow. – I, I don't remember how many I had to see, but you could never get them all done. And wow. you were just putting out well, fires. That would be impossible. Yeah. And so you would restructure it with lower caseloads. What, what, what's an ideal caseload? Okay, remember, you're in charge of the Depends new – Depends on what kind of offender you're five. supervising. Five. <laughs> five. <laughs> all right. You know, on. the one thing I found is even when they lowered the caseloads, of course, they were more manageable. But that gave you more time to get in the weeds. And sometimes you found more stuff mm-hmm. and being oh, able yeah, to do sure, that. So, sure. um, it just I, ideal, ideal. Let's do ideal for, for women or for what? Let's go male sex offense, female in general, drug abuse. So those three categories. So male sex offense, just females in general, substance abuse. Females, I'd say no more than 40. Okay. On a caseload. Male sex um, offense. Probably you could probably do between 50 and 60. Okay. And drugs. Drugs, <laughs> um, they just keep you running. 
Um, probably fifty or sixty. Oh, okay. On that. Okay. What, what's the what's the one that you'd feel comfortable with, like five thousand caseload? None. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Impossible. Yeah. What, what's Impossible. the one that you would like? You'd feel most. That, what group would you feel mo- most comfortable with having a big caseload, bigger than bigger than the three categories? Shoplifters. <laughs> yeah, like that. Like what? Well, like, it would just depend on how often I had to see them and and what risk oh. level they were at. Yeah, maybe I'm not asking the right to... question. Yeah, that's a dumb question, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't it, say, it, I didn't call it dumb. No question's dumb. I said it was dumb. It was yeah. asinine. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you if you had a, a gajillion bajillion offenders, what would be? What would they be? <laughs> Mesa jealous. You know, I do. I do believe in you know that if if they're doing well, then don't interfere with their life. Don't keep putting more treatment and programming on them that complicates everything because that would make them go downhill, and it did. You know, yeah. so. Yeah, treatment should be a punishment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, so, so again, a lot of it would be training for, and 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 if I'm hearing you right, like individualized responses based on them uh, seeing the client. Like basically a lot of the stuff we preach to our therapists, but then again, you have a very different job than therapists do. Yeah. I do think a parole officer has to wear different hats. And if you're not oh, yeah. willing to do that, I don't think you should be doing that job. It's yeah. not like a, it's sometimes, yeah, you needed to be the officer and take him to jail, but not all the time. And if you weren't able to switch that, then you're not going to be effective. Well, and from our side of the table too, on, on the job that we do, they get a lot more mileage out of their, their parolees or probationers, how you want to put it at a time where they expect to be in trouble or expect to be taken back and then don't like yeah. actually get like a, Hey, I understand. Yeah. Go talk about it. That goes a long ways. Yeah. Most of the time, not yeah. always, but most of the time that goes a long ways when, cause I have that conversation all the time. Like, Hey, you need to talk to your PO and it's, you could tell they don't want to. Yeah. And they come back like, actually they were pretty cool about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it just opens the door more that they'll be on. I do. I do yeah. think that there's, cause that builds that rapport yeah. and the trust yeah. and relationship. So if you, so, so we uh, should probably wrap this up, huh? So if we, if you had to say to, I mean, it's, it's always nice to have, if I'm a, a budding PO or I'm thinking about getting into that field or something, I find that to be something I want to get into. I mean, what message, I mean, you know, in 30 seconds or less, I guess, yeah. would you say that this is what you need to know going into this and this is going to help you be effective? I think just, um, you know, know that you have to wear those different hats. And the best advice I'd give them is to listen, yeah. sit back and listen. I think a lot of people, we talk a lot. Mm-hmm. We tell you the rules. We tell you the parole agreement. But listen, listen to what they have to say. Getting to know the person, mm-hmm. being able to wear a different hat over yeah. that. So great. Yeah. That's what I think. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. That's you going to come back and visit us again? I would love to. Okay. I love talker probation and parole. That was, I just, I just <laughs> Glad loved we could my career. It was make your career. evening. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You need to plug anything before we leave? No. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. All righty, folks. That does it for this episode of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. We would like to thank you for taking the time to tune in. We also want to thank our guest, Randy, for spending some time with us, coming in, being willing to do an interview. We had a lot of fun with it. And we are going to be back on the next episode talking about suicides we will be here with miss nita baki she was kind enough to come on to the show and talk with us about her work and dealing with suicidal clients so don't want to miss out on this one that will be the next episode and we will see you then